Your Medical Finance Matters. Hello, I'm Johnny Hart, and in this podcast, we'll be chatting to the experts about why, as a medical professional, you should be using a specialist medical accountant. And today, I'm very pleased to be joined by specialist medical accountants William Myatt and Michelle Trivett of Sanderson Lang. And they're going to explain why using an accountant well-versed in the nuances of your income and pensions from the medical industry can be crucial for the success of your business. William and Michelle, welcome. Oh, hello, Johnny. Good morning. Thank you very much for having us today. William, could I start with you? What would you say are the major benefits of using a specialist medical accountant? I think the main thing is that the doctors are very busy. Um, They have their employment with the NHS. A lot of them have private practice as well. Um, And dealing with HMRC can be very difficult just in terms of um, the time involved. So writing to the revenue for some things, you can only write into them. You can't source it out on the phone. It can take them months to respond to their post. Um, And even on the telephone, you get through to an advisor who hasn't necessarily received the right training. Um, So yes, a lot of effort um, that could just be done by someone who's a bit um, more experienced about um, how to get through to them. Michelle, would you like to add to that? Yes, doctors' accounts are quite complex. They're not really the most straightforward. Uh, There's a lot of extra complexities, especially with the NHS pension scheme. It's a lot more involved than general accounting. So you get some accountants that are very, very, very good at their work. They have absolutely no idea when it comes to the NHS or the various different elements of that and the pension scheme. And that's where we really are able to help the clients um, understand and navigate their way through what they can and can't do um, with the pension allowances. We've got various different claims that they can make, knowing how they can make their expense claims, what can be claimed where. It's all those little added extras. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, as an an example, um, they have employment income from the NHS and often self-employment income. And that's quite unusual in terms of professions if you have those two income streams. And if you do have employment income with the NHS, it gives you a reduced rate of national insurance on your self-employment. Not many accountants know that um, per se. So we always did the deferment forms um, in the past. So we would fill out this form, send it off to the Revenue National Insurance Office. The two offices don't talk to each other, which is another problem. Um, But yes, the deferment forms mean that you can pay about £3,000 less on your self-employment profits class for national insurance. So we often got clients coming to us from other accountancy firms where this hadn't been done just because the accountants don't come across it very much. Um, And that still happens, even though it's to some extent done through the tax return now, you still get it where the um, clients haven't been registered properly for self-assessment. And that's something that we would spot when doing the things and then we can, um, doing the tax returns, and then we can claim back up to four years um, of these overpaid national insurance contributions. So what other reasons do you think doctors' accounts are more complicated than most, Michelle? Doctors' finances can be really complicated. They have multiple streams of income in many cases. Just their NHS employments alone are not straightforwards. They can have various different levels of pay depending on what tier of the pay scale they are on. That in itself can have a massive impact on their pension growth. 
And as specialist medical accountants, we know what the key factors are to look out for where they are on the NHS pay scale. Having looked at their PAs, which is the number of sessions that somebody will be working, um, that, that can have quite a big impact on their finances. Should they opt out of the NHS pension scheme? How will that impact on their income levels? And so again, when we take into the equation their private practices, the challenge of their finances gets even more complicated looking into what, what structures there are available to them, how do they want to plan their affairs, looking at income levels, what rates of tax do people want to pay? And there's lots of different thresholds involved. William? Yes, so I think, Johnny, that's the single most important thing. When I speak to clients, new clients who have come um, from another firm or if they're starting out um, in private practice, I try to explain how the tax system works. And obviously, it's pretty complicated, but it's very important to sit down with them and to walk them through each of the different scenarios. So they could be a sole trader. They could be in a partnership, perhaps with their spouse, and they could be in a company. So if they are a sole trader, it's easier to get their hands on the money, as in it's their money, they are the business. And yes, the tax rates are different. So you have income tax and national insurance on those profits, where if you compare that to a company, for example, a company is a separate legal entity, and it can only pay out the money in a certain way, a certain number of times a year. Um, so that's something that we would talk to perhaps their financial advisor about, as in how how they can handle the cash flow difficulty of having a company. Some of them are setting up a company in order to keep the money there, in order to plan their retirement. So that lack of access to the money can have a big impact on their personal cash flow situation. So Michelle, what about giving advice on different trading structures? So the first thing we will tend to look at is what are the individual client's needs? There is no one size fits all approach. It is very much a tailored approach. Everybody is different. Everybody has different needs and requirements. So we will always go through with any clients that we speak to, any of the doctors, what are their needs? Is the practice money surplus to the requirements? Is it needed for things like school fees? Is it something they need every single day? Have they got family members that they can utilise within a practice structure? Um, what are their longer term intentions for that money? They may not need it now, but they might need it in two or three years time. So looking at the various different tax rates can have quite a big impact on the structure that's going to apply to them and, and the one that is going to be the right fit for them as well. Absolutely. So in terms of having a company, for example, you've got to have a good reason to have a company um, because you have to consider the overall tax rate. So the company pays corporation tax on its profits. And then if the residual profits are paid out as a dividend, there's further tax. So we need to look at the hybrid tax rate. And to some extent, we need to speculate as to what the overall tax rate is going to be when the money eventually comes out of the company. So that's one possible reason, leaving it in there until you retire, hoping it to, get, to get it out as a preferential capital gains tax treatment. Another potential reason to consider a company is when you have an annual allowance issue. So we'll come on to this in due course, but the annual allowance affects a lot of doctors because they have a generous pension scheme. The NHS pension scheme, um, when they contribute to it, it's given a notional input. So it's not how much money they pay into the scheme. It's not how much money their employer pays into the scheme. That would be far too logical. So 
what happens is it's given a notional value, this input, and the doctor's not in control of it. The doctor is just going about their business and being in the pension scheme. They're given these large input amounts. And then if their overall income, as in their NHS income plus their private practice profits, is above a certain threshold, then their annual allowance begins to decrease. So if the client has a company, this problem is mitigated because income is in the company and it doesn't hit their personal tax return unless they take the money out of the company. Um, so that's the second reason really for a limited company. I suppose the third one might be the effect of um, marginal tax rates. So there are these nasty bans in the tax system. One of them is between 100,000 and about 125,000. The effect of that is that the personal allowance is withdrawn gradually, you know, that tax-free bit at the beginning um, of people's income where they don't pay any tax. That is gradually withdrawn above 100,000. So the overall effect is an income tax rate of 60% or above. So a company can help with that. Um, there's also one um, tax rate that I find particularly unfair, which is child benefits. So if people earn £50,000 each, if there's um, two parents and they each earn £50,000, they get to keep all of their child benefits. And this can be two, £3,000 a year. But if one of them, if one of them earns £60,000 and the other earns nothing, they lose all of their child benefit because there's this steep cliff that they fall off between 50,000 and 60,000. So I suppose that's another area that we're interested in, um, whether people are above certain thresholds. I mean, the 100,000 is also relevant for um, tax-free childcare, isn't it? Um, as in you can lose your entitlement to tax-free childcare um, if you exceed that threshold. And again, it's a cliff edge, Johnny. This is very useful information, and of course it's free, <laughs> um, but uh, very interesting indeed. If I could turn to you now, uh, Michelle, what problems do you think can occur without specialist help? We've just had all this fantastic advice from William, but um, if you don't know what you need to know, then you do get problems. Absolutely, Johnny. Um, the problem we tend to find is that the accountants that are not specialist medical accountants haven't got the same level of knowledge or understanding as we do, especially when it comes to the pension scheme. That's the real key issue that we find. Doctors are incredibly busy um, and they tend to bury their heads in the sands when it comes to finances. Um, it's called the ostrich syndrome approach. Uh, it's quite common, unfortunately, with doctors. I think it's everybody's problem, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think it is as well. Uh, doctors will tend to just carry on doing their work, earning their income, and they don't think too much about what their income levels are. Then several years down the line, uh, as we found out with the annual allowance that was brought in in sort of around 2016, and it wasn't really until about 2019, 2020, that a lot of doctors realised they'd been having these problems for the last three or four years, by which point it is too late to do anything about it. You then just have these tax charges that you've unwittingly incurred when if you had a specialist medical accountant who was somebody that knows what they're talking about, had been actively looking at your affairs and helping you guide through that, 
could have been completely avoided. William? I suppose this comes back to the original question of a specialist medical accountant. I mean, when you do things all the time, you become better at them. So for us, the annual allowance things, because we only deal with doctors, we knew that the annual allowance was a problem. So we dealt with it early on. When the taper was introduced, and this was the big problem in 2016 to 17, the annual allowance, rather than being £40,000, was tapered to as low as £10,000. And this affected our clients a lot because a lot of them earn about £100,000 from their NHS. Any private practice or any additional work that they undertake for the NHS pushes them above this cliff edge of 110,000. Then they got tested against this annual allowance taper and it became unsustainable um, because they were turning down extra work in the NHS, which the NHS needed them to do because they needed doctors to do the work and they were turning it down because it was having such a catastrophic effect on their pension growth and then they were incurring tax charges on it. And so we went out on the front foot um, with the clients, told them about the taper. We knew about the taper where we get people coming to us from other accountancy firms. And because they don't use, they don't have doctors exclusively like we do, they don't have the experience of how it all works. So I, for example, a few months ago, had a new client um, come to me and she had a £50,000 tax bill. And what had happened was she had filled out the scheme pays form. So just to explain that, Johnny, if you have a tax charge, you can ask the pension scheme to pay it for you. So the pension scheme pay it for you and they then reduce your eventual pension when you get it, when you retire, to compensate for the charge. So this lady had asked the NHS to pay her annual allowance charge for her, but her accountant had not put that on her tax return. They hadn't put any annual allowance charge on the tax return and they hadn't written to HMRC to disclose this charge. So what happened was things get reconciled eventually. So the NHS BSA, the NHS Pension Authority, they send the information about the annual allowance inputs to HMRC. This takes a few years. And then HMRC had raised an assessment against this lady because they didn't know about her having used scheme pays to pay the charge. So they got very uppity about it, sent her this £50,000 tax bill, and then it just automatically goes through to the debt collection process. So she was getting these horrible letters in brown envelopes and they were getting worse and worse. She came to me, you know, having been with a different accountant who didn't necessarily um, know much about the annual allowance. I wrote a letter to HMRC. It took them a few months to answer it. Um, well, actually, they didn't answer it. Sorry, I, I called them up repeatedly to chase them. <laughs> You go through to a back department and it's a sort of special department beyond that. And it has now happily been cancelled, but it's a very traumatic process. And there's almost not like there's nothing 
the taxpayer can do about it because they just keep coming. They refer to the debt collection agencies and then no one can stop the process of the debt collection people, but it's very unpleasant. So could HMRC in that case gone against your your advice and actually she'd still have to pay? Or was it just that they looked kindly on the situation? I, I, I think this... This case, it was just pointing out to them what had happened. The genuine mistake from the accountant's point of view rather than actually from hers. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she had, she had filled out the form, hmm. the, um, the scheme pays form. It just hadn't been disclosed. And, and that is, to some extent, less of a problem that, because it didn't have a tax impact, as in the yeah. tax charge was settled by the scheme. That has already happened. It was just a lack of disclosure and that isn't usually a problem in terms of if, if there's no tax impact, HMRC aren't too unpleasant about it. Um, it was more of a technicality. Mm, I did. Um, I mean, you were saying about how to rectify issues. They, they were very difficult in another instance, um, which was someone who had a large charge and they paid it in cash. because so you don't have to ask the pension scheme to pay it for you, you can pay it yourself. Sometimes that's better because your eventual pension is bigger. So people prefer to pay the charge themselves. This person did pay the charge themselves, 30,000 pounds. Then they had their financial advisor look at the figures and the figures were wrong. So the annual allowance charge did not exist. So I wrote to the revenue to ask them to remove the charge, but they refused because it was more than four years ago. And this is where it becomes very difficult because they can come after us up to 20 years, no problem, if we make mistakes. But if they're giving money back to us, they have a four-year time limit effectively. So the revenue came back and said, absolutely not, sorry, it's all over this £30,000. So I wrote back to them using the extra statutory concession, which is a sort of technicality, saying, well, hang on, it was a government department that made the mistake. The figures are the wrong because of the government department. And that wasn't good enough for them either. They came back and said it wasn't a government department because technically the NHS Business Services Authority is not a government department. And I went back to them, I said, this is completely ridiculous because it's a government department being the payroll department of the trust that has given the wrong figures to the NHS Business Services Authority. And then they let him off. But that was very difficult, wasn't it? I mean, not many people would know to go after them to that extent. And Michelle, talking of mistakes... There are plenty of instances where we'll see uh, payslips that contain small errors. Absolutely. It happens all the time. Trusts can overpay people, um, they underpay people, and there's always errors in the, um, in, in the pension side of things. So us having access to those will try to help us flag it to people if, if there is a potential issue that they can then look into and get resolved further. So how do specialists stay ahead of the news? What do you do? We have access to a lot of the internal updates that come directly from NHS pensions. We work very closely with a firm of financial advisors to also specialise in the NHS pension scheme. So a lot of our updates will come from sources like that and industry news. And William? 
Yes, I mean, we get updates from um, our governing body, the Institute of Chartered Accountants, England and Wales, um, and we also have the same sort of legislation services in. Um, we get information from the same um, package that HMRC advisors use. And are you allowed to, and this is for both of you, are you allowed to provide financial advice? Sort of is the answer to that, Charlie, I think. Um, so these pension questions, um, we can help with the pensions issues. Um, if the client needs help beyond our remit from a financial advisor, for example, we can point the clients in the right direction. Um, we are authorised to um, give tax advice. Um, and the thing is, there's quite a lot of overlap between that and financial advice, but I mean, it should really be a financial planner um, giving advice about investments and specific pension advice. Yeah, we tend to find working in conjunction with a specialist financial planner is incredibly helpful on both sides. We can liaise with each other. So where there are the grey crossover areas, everybody's talking from the same song sheet, as it were. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, talking as you have about how complicated it can be particularly for doctors. Do you think that financial matters have become even more complicated now for the medical profession? Yes. <laughs> uh, 10, 20 years ago, they didn't have anywhere near the same pension allowance issues that we have now. Lifetime allowance was sort of 1.8 million. Um, people could put amounts into their pension of up to sort of £255,000 a year and there was no tapering at all of that roll forward 10 or so years and here we are with very, very restrictive allowances on what can go into pensions over your lifetime and on an annual basis. The tax rates have obviously become a lot more penal as well. There was something in 2006 called pension simplification, which made things much more complicated. Um, and also since then, there, there are now two fiscal events a year. So there's a, a budget and a statement. There used to only be one and parliamentary scrutiny got reduced Things used to be analysed properly before they were written into legislation. Um, but now things are not being tested. I mean, um, things like the annual allowance. I don't think the annual allowance should have been allowed to get through in that form um, just because of the unintended consequences, the doctors refusing work because of a very adverse tax impact on their pensions. And with the health sector becoming increasingly more challenging to work in. You can understand uh, why a lot of doctors decide to retire earlier than they'd planned uh, because of this system. Absolutely. And, I mean, to some extent, the things have improved, haven't they? Um, the Chancellor has done something to mitigate the pension issues, but to some extent, I think the damage has been done. As specialist medical accountants, we could see the damage that was being caused in 2016 when they introduced these rules. Unfortunately, it took the government until just before the COVID pandemic hit in December of 2019 to realise the damage that they had caused. Well, I must say that's given us plenty of uh, food for thought and a greater understanding of why doctors definitely need a specialist accountant. William and Michelle, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been really interesting. Thank you, Johnny. It's nice to see you. Yes, thank you for having us today. And if you'd like to find out more or ask any questions, you can call 01732-365-351 or visit sandersonlang.com. Until next time, thanks and goodbye. 
Your Medical Finance Matters 